from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. When cooking and science combine in the kitchen. I'm Charles Denny. Tennessee 4-Hers learn lessons about the science of food, baking some tasty bread, but also how to be careful when preparing meals. Some southern producers look to recover from record drought. The water's going to run right off the field. A sign of hope for the pork industry. We're, we're at a new value record of almost $8.2 billion in sales globally on U.S. pork. A look at how 2023 broke records for pork exports right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when blood, sweat, and tears meet rain, wind, and sun. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. While the pork industry is facing challenges right now, new numbers show last year was a record setter for pork exports. The U.S. Meat Export Federation releasing the 2023 totals. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, there was some good news with regards to beef exports as well. Yeah, that's right, Clint. Despite headwinds like a strong U.S. dollar, pork exports in 2023 hit a new value record. And even though beef exports were down compared to 2022, the strong performance in the fourth quarter is leaving U.S. meat export officials optimistic about 2024. December pork export volume climbed nearly 10% from a year ago with value up 11% to $766 million in the third highest month on record. That helped push 2023 export value to a new record, which was also up 6% from 2022. We're, we're at a new value record of almost $8.2 billion in sales globally on U.S. pork. Of course, led by Mexico, Mexico's been leading it all year long. Uh, but really, the rest of Latin America has stepped as, up as well with, with a record into the Central American region, the DR as well. Export value per pig slaughtered also set an annual record of nearly $64, with more than $11 per head attributed to variety meat exports. The key is maximizing the carcass mix and the value of the whole carcass. So uh, we came in uh, in December with a very high number of over $70 a head uh, per head payback uh, for exports of pork. Uh, and that brought the, the annual record up to $64, almost $64 a head for the year, which is an all-time record. U.S. beef exports finished the year with encouraging signs. While December volume was down 4% year over year, it was the largest since August, and so was export value climbing 10% to $861 million. 2023 beef exports totaled 1.3 million metric tons, down 12% from the 2022 record, while export value fell 15% to just under $10 billion. This was still the third highest annual value for beef exports. As we all know, the beef has struggled throughout 2023 with, with considerable headwinds, uh, not the least of which is uh, still waiting on a rebound in food service in Asia. But that being said, there was quite a bit of good news led by Mexico and Central America. Uh, the Latin American markets have performed well on U.S. beef. Beef export value per head of fed slaughter was $431 in December, the highest since April. The full year 2023 average was $397 per head. I'm Michelle Work reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. But as we said, the pork industry is not without its challenges right now. The Wall Street Journal taking a deeper dive into the issue. Now, that article says, despite producing a variety of pork products, there's insufficient demand to absorb the surplus. Factors contributing to this imbalance 
it says, include the industry's focus on efficiency, the perception of pork as a less desirable meat compared to chicken and beef, and misconceptions about pork's preparation and healthiness. Now, the industry says it is exploring several strategies to address these issues, such as targeting new overseas markets, repositioning pork as an affordable alternative to beef, and promoting fattier, more flavorful pork breeds. Now, the article also highlights the financial strain on pork producers right now, with farmers losing money on each pig due to shrinking profit margins. Just a few years ago, the biggest source of income for many farmers was government payments. But USDA says that won't be the case this year. In 2020, direct government payments totaled $45.5 billion, but they dropped to $15.5 billion in 2022. Last year, they were down to $12 billion. And this year, they're expected to dip again by about $2 billion to just over $10 billion, or a 16% drop from last year. Direct government payments will contract again in 2024, and that gives you an overall kind of direct government payment intervention total there of below the long-run average. Experts say that's mostly due to lower supplemental and ad hoc disaster assistance. A winter storm that hit the Mid-South now becoming a strong nor'easter. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has an update. Yeah, coming up for our Tuesday, you're looking at it. Uh, the main system, the, the main story from a weather perspective, what's going on on the East Coast. Bit of a nor'easter uh, extending all the way back down here to the south with rain. But the dividing line is really making it a tricky forecast between rain, sleet, and snow in and across the northeast. So this is Tuesday at 1 p.m. As we go into the evening hours on Tuesday and into Wednesday morning, uh, things actually quiet down quite a bit in and across the United States uh, for a whole maybe day or two. <laughs> this is Wednesday at 6 a.m. and not seeing much in the way of surface features that would you know, result in uh, messy weather or impacts to travel in across the United States. That is gonna start to change as we have a weak system trying to work through the jet stream late Wednesday early Thursday morning into Thursday afternoon, uh, right from the west to the east. So we talked about this last week, that zonal flow is one of the reasons why this is moving mainly west to east rather than more to the northeast at the surface. So again, there's Thursday at about 10 a.m. Chances of snow up into Michigan, rain back into Indiana, including central Indiana, and then more energy back off to the west. Again, there's Thursday at 10 a.m. We'll talk more about it in just a little bit. And someone's got to be first, right? It looks like Planet 2024 is underway. Sorry, Plant 2024 is underway. Alan sending this one in, uh, planting corn last Friday in Texas, uh, just north of Houston. Alan says it sounds like spring. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. In 2023, Louisiana experienced one of its driest and hottest years on record. More seasonal rain patterns have returned the past two months, but right now the state is still in recovery mode. LSU Ag Center reporter Craig Gotro has an update. Some areas of Louisiana received more than a foot of rain during January, which saturated many fields. But according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's drought monitor, nearly 90% of the state ranges from abnormally dry to extreme drought. More rain will be needed to break the cycle. The drought has caused us to mine all the water out of the soil um, last year with the crop season. And so it's gonna take a lot more than just the last few weeks of rain to truly replenish that in the soil. Louisiana has two distinct rainfall patterns across the state, a northern region and a southern region. There is little difference between the two except for one season, summer. 
what we found looking at the, the rainfall patterns is that the only true difference between those two regions are in the months of June, July, and August. Those summer months, the irrigation months. Last year, some areas of the state were so dry, the soil repelled water. When the soil gets too dry, it becomes hydrophobic or does not absorb water like it should. And so um, instead of infiltrating, when the soil is dry, the water's gonna run right off the field. Right now, the evaporation transpiration levels are low. But by the time June begins, fields can lose up to a third of an inch of moisture per day, which will require farmers to irrigate. When they furrow irrigate, they're putting out about an inch, inch and a half of water that actually gets into the soil. And so that accounts for the ET loss from the last seven days. While producers would like to see more rain, they need dry fields at the beginning of March to begin planting their corn crop. With the LSU Ag Center, this is Craig Gotro reporting. Corn and soybean markets seeing some improvements on Monday. We'll have a look at what traders are watching coming up next. And later we head into the kitchen and the lab for a look at the importance of food science. cultivated meat operations doing these days? Well, they don't appear to be getting as much investor interest compared to just a few years ago. AgFunder.com reporting that funding for cultivated meat startups peaked at $989 million in 2021, then dipped slightly in 2022 before dropping off sharply last year, down 78% to $177 million. It says investors did put some money in a UK company called Uncommon, which is working on cultivated pork. Another, Blue Nalu, is a cultivated seafood startup. And Meatable, a Dutch startup which claims to be able to make meat in large quantities in an affordable way. This week seems to be starting off better for grains. Michelle Rook is back with a look at what analysts are keeping an eye on this week in Markets Now. Well, grains are mostly higher on Monday with the exception of some of the wheat contracts. Naomi Bloom is joining us from Total Farm Marketing. And Naomi, soybeans had a pretty decent day as well as the meal market on Monday. Was it all corrective buying and was it just a one-day pop? Um, it's a combination of corrective buying, some short covering. The market seems to be comfortable with the March contract, having some support at the 1175 area with resistance at $12. And there still is some discrepancy as far as where is or isn't the size of the crop in Brazil. A lot of the farmers there are suggesting it's significantly lower than USDA and some of the private forecasters down there have that Brazil crop in the upper 140s, which is again, lower than the USDA coming in in the 150s. So that is starting to lend to some support to the situation along with the market being oversold and traders may be squaring up positions also ahead of this week's USDA Outlook Forum. Uh, that'll be happening in Washington, DC. Obviously, that was probably a little bit of a focus for the corn market here, but we did score a new contract low and then we popped, you know. Do you feel like that corn market is just going to continue to only see these little recoveries? Corn is really stuck in a grind, as is most of the grain complex, but just, just because of that 2 billion bushel carryout hanging over us. And so we're waiting to see what the weather is going to be on that second crop corn in Brazil. It's starting to get planted now for the corn 
And if traders see that there's any weather issues to that crop, that will be a reason for the market to see a short covering rally. Until then, though, funds short nearly 300,000 contracts, getting close to a record short amount of a position, which is early for this time of year. If they get that short, historically, it happens more like in late spring. So that's something we're watching, along with the commercials being actually near record long. So the market, in some regard, is trying to suggest that we're getting closer to a bottoming action. However, as you know, without any fresh news to justify it, prices may just continue to trade sideways and grind sideways here in the short term. Thanks so much, Naomi Blue with Total Farm Marketing. We'll have more ag day coming up. I'm going to take a look at what's going on with the jet stream. So we got uh, that low pressure system, that nor'easter, uh, forming back on the eastern part of the United States, and that's supported by the jet stream. So it's a little notch down here to the south. And that is one of the reasons why we're expecting a little bit stronger low pressure system than the one that's coming later in the week. Which one am I talking about? Well, this one. This is Tuesday into Wednesday. See more of a zonal flow, but the trough that's going to be digging across the United States uh, is going to be pretty shallow. No, we're not going to get a lot of support from the jet stream. So uh, moisture and overall strength of the low at the surface as it works from the west to the east is going to be a lot weaker than uh, the nor'easter that's currently unfolding uh, for us uh, on this Tuesday. Uh, by Thursday and into Friday, we see a shallow trough dig down here to the south with some cold air attached to it. But I want to stop this on Saturday because once again, we're kind of setting up uh, for a, a battle between winter and spring, there I say. And with the ridge forming like it is, once this trough leaves or exits to the northeast, this ridge is going to be responsible for some warmer than average conditions. Now check out the time frame. This is next weekend, so we have a lot of time to watch whether or not this pattern unfolds. Uh, confidence is high that uh, we're going to be returning back uh, to more ridginess scientific term uh, coming up next week across the United States. Before we get there, the 17th to the 21st, and you got uh, again that pocket of cool, if not cold air, back up in the Dakotas, and as well as uh, Minneapolis and Minnesota and Wisconsin, and then that warmer air ridging starting to happen on the West Coast. First indications uh, are the uh, warmer temperatures towards the end of that time frame, so 21st, 20, 21st or so. So again, that's going to be moving more to the west of the east once this cold air gets out of here. We take into account what's going on with the precipitation staying dry into Texas, Louisiana, where we had some rainfall still very wet on the west coast between the 17th and the 21st. Valentine, how appropriate, partly cloudy, high around 50 degrees, low of 27. Max, North Dakota, We've got some morning snow showers, high around 33 degrees, low of 15. Grass Range, Montana. Give you one guess what they range out there in grass range. Got evening snow showers. Although overall farm income is expected to drop this year, could dairy producers still find some profits? One app seems to think so. Zisk is a free app that incorporates information from producers on their milk contracts and feed prices. It then predicts possible profits for dairies. 
In its third annual report, it says, dairy producers are expecting a profitable year, although much less than for the previous two years. And it says size matters, with larger farmers forecasted to make higher profits per cow, while smaller ones, especially those with less than 250 cows, may face some difficulties depending on the region and with the southeast seeing losses. However, the same area could also be the most profitable with an average projected profit of $857 per cow. Now, the least profitable region for producing milk is expected to be the Northeast. Now, Zisk reports the app has now been downloaded by over 4,000 farm owners representing more than 4 million cows or about 45% of the U.S. herd. Gene editing is taking another big step in tackling one of the most challenging cattle diseases in the world. Researchers using CRISPR gene editing technology to replace six amino acids in one gene. The scientists able to reduce a calf's susceptibility to bovine viral diarrhea resistance, or BVDV. Cloned embryos from gear cattle were used in the experiment. The edited cells were then transferred to some of the embryos while the other half were left unedited and served as controls. They say ultimately, one full-term pregnancy resulted from an edited embryo. And the researchers report cells from several organs from the edited fetus showed significantly lower susceptibility to BVDV. The research was conducted by USDA and the University of Nebraska. Now when the world of food and science combine, it can get pretty exciting. And that's just what students in Tennessee are finding out in the country next. Tennessee 4-Hers are learning about the foods we eat and how to prepare them. The University of Tennessee's Charles Denny has more on the fun lessons you can learn when you're both chef and scientist. While y'all are doing that, I'm going to go ahead and hand you your yeast. We start with a desire to learn and a mix of ingredients. Bread in a bag. That's what these 4-Hers are making at the Cheatham County UT Extension Office, where flour, sugar, and a few other things thrown in morphs into a tasty treat. When you add the yeast, you get an academic lesson for youngsters like 11-year-old Lauren Steer. Well, it's very fun to see it rise and see how it unfolds and see how it cooks. Mm -hmm. And just the science behind it is amazing. There's a key word, science. Lauren's mom and dad are both food scientists. Three tablespoons. And she's a budding one herself, along with these other kids. This is more than a cooking class, part of a 4-H food science curriculum taught by UT and TSU Extension. So they're going to learn about yeast, how yeast is a living organism. But also with food science, you can learn math skills, the measuring, you can learn how to follow directions, and plus it's getting the kids out of the house and teaching them some important life skills. This 4-H project goes beyond just cooking up great recipes in the kitchen. Food science also includes food safety and how to be careful when preparing meals. While 4-H is about kids expressing themselves and having old-fashioned fun, it's also preparing them for the future. And everyone needs to know how to cook. Yeah, so they gain independence, they gain life skills, um, they can grow up and use this in a number of ways. They can use it in their own lives cooking for their families. Or we've even seen kids go on into careers where they become chefs or work in restaurants and things like that. Elias Prine really enjoys baking desserts with his mom and sister, but always under their watchful eye. Um, I like making it, and 
there's lots of different things that I want to make. Yeah, you like cooking a lot? <laughs> she, she doesn't completely trust me in the kitchen. <laughs> she doesn't trust me. She tells me no. But mom will say yes if the final product turns out like this. The best part of cooking, the reward at the end. And all from lessons learned when the kitchen and dining room table becomes a science lab. This is Charles Denny reporting. All right, thanks Charles, and that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Dam Club Nervous, have a great day.